Time Limits Show with me, Sylvan Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're joined by Terminal Philosophy to discuss are ad hominem arguments useful? Tim. So today we're again joined by ad hom- uh, a Terminal Philosophy here to discuss ad hominem arguments. In a way, this is a, a continuation of our Ric Flair episode uh, because what we're going to be discussing is a sort of performative contradiction people will be making with regards to their argumentation. And the classic example outlined here by this great article, which I will link in the uh, show notes here, is is on in defense of ad hominem arguments, is what is issue in ad hominem criticism is not logical inconsistency, but what we could call pragmatic inconsistency, which often means a kind of inconsistency between statements and actions. There's the case. A parent argues to his child that smoking is associated with chronic disorders and that smoking is unhealthy. Therefore, the child should not smoke. The child replies, you smoke yourself. So much for your argument against smoking. One can see why the phrase, uh, this is you too, uh, is appropriate here. Note that if the child is being too hasty in rejecting the parent's contention that smoking is healthy, the child may be committing the basic ad hominem fallacy. These and some other considerations apart, however, the child may have a point worth considering. If the parent smokes but advocates non-smoking, is not this personal inconsistent a reasonable basis for criticism or at least challenging the parent's personal advocacy of his own argument? Is if the child is raising the question, if you're really serious about your, your own argument, why don't you follow your why don't you follow you yourself? Another another thing that showed up in more recent examples, the smoking ones a class is the war on COVID. That's what I'll call the war on COVID. What you see with masking and lockdowns, for example, is you find out the elites, including Boris Johnson, for example, the UK, had a Christmas party during one of the lockdowns. Now, I'm fine with that. The problem was he was outlawing de facto Christmas parties for everyone else. Um, but this is also true of like Black Lives Matter street protests. People were out about. So you have a sort of performing contradiction. Now, it could be that the lumpen proletariat actually didn't really buy into the arguments anyway. Which is fine, totally fair, but the elites, plain elites, didn't follow the rules and claimed to follow the rules. So there's a, there's an example of ad hominem. Another example which I'm more sympathetic toward is appearance. Uh, for example, when I'm traveling and I'll go to a, 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 a restaurant, sometimes I will dress up um, slightly, somewhat slightly, and I I think at restaurants you get treated nicer. Now the left wing progressives would just say it's racism, um, you know, but I think I think I think there's an argument that if you dress nicely you show up to place, you get treated better. I think that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. You can dislike it. You know, people say that for job interviews to do that. So what's unreasonable about that? Um, I, I, I'm i also suspicious, like, I say this with a smile, but Swithin will sometimes wear uh, Peppa the Pig shirts on live streams. I just sort of get a kick out of that. I get a kick out of that, but I can see why someone wouldn't want to do it. Grammar is another area where appearance matters. Because really at bottom, if you make selling mistakes, it doesn't really subtract from the argument. If you use is or are, maybe if you use is or are or was incorrectly, but if you use theirs wrong, you know, I don't know. There's certain ad hominem arguments which are based on appearance. So there is a simple case of ad hominem that I do think is dumb. But the example with the smoking, I think, is a really relevant example. So if you don't follow the rules, you know, it's one thing just to judge a person based on his appearance and say, "Ugh, that's that that their argument should be taken seriously. Although if the person is doesn't bathe or doesn't do whatever, that actually might be a good argument. I think the one the the one uh, 
Prussian secret police file had a file on Karl Marx that complained that he smelled or something like that or didn't bathe. You know, you could you could argue personal cleanliness may have something to do with one's argumentative object uh, ways. There, there might be a relation. There may not. But terminal philosophy, what do you make of ad hominem arguments? I think of the terms of argumentative rules outlined in general argumentation. This is one of the weakest ones. What do you make of it? Terminal philosophy, thanks for being on here. All right. Well, thanks again for having me um, once again. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you almost entirely. I think uh, I, I will say just as a more sweeping observation, first and foremost, that and this goes without saying, but, you know, in the world of modern political debate and discourse, I think winning an argument and winning an audience are two very different things. Um, I think you would both probably agree that there is sort of an artistic um, aspect to debate and how arguments are deployed. Um, you know, it seems to me that people in the political sphere are first and foremost, uh, they'll watch or participate in debates or just general discourse for the desire to see their opponents be humiliated or, you know, um, supposedly, you know, destroyed in all caps. You know, I mean, of course, you know, there's there's no shortage of SJW Girl Gets Owned compilations, volume 46, or, you know, Vosh apparently destroys uh, XYZ or, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Stephen Crowder obliterates uh, fill in the blank. So it's it's very sort of uh, bottom feeder entertainment based first and foremost. Um, now to more directly to the uh, to address more directly the point about ad hominem and whether or not it's a fallacy. I mean yes, technically on paper it is a fallacy. You're not uh, if if you're not addressing the the content of the argument and you're and you're addressing the person themselves. Or, or really, you're just attacking the other um, the other side just just for the uh, just for the explicit interest of insulting them, getting them uh, to emotionally overreact, or or just for fun. Then yeah, that is a fallacy. However, um, it is quite the uh, it is it is quite the contradiction to say, for example, you know, the United States is obviously against the invasion of Russia's Ukraine or uh, the the United States is against uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You know, however, we've done all sorts of uh, foreign misadventures in the second half of the uh, 20th century, and you know, like Iraq and Afghanistan. And so, um, with that in mind, um, that that is certainly not practicing what you preach. And I think that, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting subject because that is almost never it, it's never formally addressed because. It's, you know, and this is sort of the problem because whether it's like a certain people or nations, ethnicities, political parties, uh, influential institutions or other historical or sociological phenomenon, they they sort of all of those things cannot avoid inheriting their past as if it were some sort of like a firmware or a software. There, there's no sort of um, what would you say? There's no sort of blank slate tabula rasa that can be established because you know the united states might wag its finger at putin and say like you know that that you know how, how dare you invade ukraine for this reason or that reason but then we're over here uh you know invading uh other other nations for uh, you know very uh you know very uh you know questionable reasons i mean you know like with the you know 
the supposed presence of WMDs. Oh, we, we have to invade an entire nation to take out a small group of uh, of Islamist thugs. And so, um, you know, but I, I guess what I mean by um, all the like people or governments or political parties or institutions being un, un the, the fact that they cannot avoid inheriting their past that will inevitably lead to them creating these sort of uh, pragmatic contradictions that you sort of uh, that you brought up before. It's the, the problem is that, you know, whether again, whether you're a head of uh, some sort of influential institution or a government or a political party, the past has been guiding your path forward through time. And so it's almost impossible to imagine that the Republicans and the Democrats would sort of meet in the middle and, and and decide, okay, we're not going to hold this against you from the past. We're not going to hold that against you from the past. Let's just try and just go forward from a point of neutrality. I think that that's uh, at least current. I mean, there, there's there's nothing to suggest. There's nothing coming down the pipeline in terms of human psychology or sociology or politics to suggest that, oh, like there, there will be some sort of uh, neutral ground or, or blank slate to start over from. So I'll, I'll just keep my initial comments at that. The closest to the uh, Republicans and Democrats to get to uh, a neutral ground would be war zone, because, of course, they'll always support both. Both sides will always support the wars these days. Um, so with uh, on war, interestingly, um, I think um, the ad hominem these days has got a worse reputation um, than uh, it deserves. Um, if you ever um, question some of the more rabid anti-Russian uh, types about the about, about the, the the situation in Ukraine. Uh, and if you you talk to them about all these other situations and what they thought of those, they just go, "Oh, watch aboutism." It's like, yeah. So, like, I think one of the things here when it says it's practical inconsistency rather than uh, logically inconsistent with the argument is, well. I think ad hominems are useful in actually highlighting what the individual's argument actually is, because they might actually not realize that, that the two positions they hold are actually sort of contradictory in, in practice. And so it actually is helpful to refine their position to see, oh, OK, so what is relevantly different between um, my um, my support for the war in uh, Russia uh, of support for, for the Ukrainian war against Russia, or the, the defensive war that is, or we should support them there, rather than uh, my opposition to supporting uh, Assad, for instance, and wanting him to be beaten by the Islamic, well, the, the moderate rebels, because it's always moderate rebels, those going to say, oh yeah, it's Islamist extremists, no, it's always moderate rebels. And so I, I think it's useful to actually figure out what their argument actually is, um, because um, people tend to be hugely inconsistent. And actually, until that's kind of pointed out, um, they might not realise that they, they do, in fact, are, in fact, inconsistently holding positions. Um, so I, I, I do think that that done properly is is quite useful. Although CP points out, yes, uh, someone destroys somebody else is not great informative stuff. Um, I, I quickly Googled Vouch destroys and apparently he destroys libs of TikTok, uh, which I'm sure is uh, not great viewing. Uh, but uh, so those have been my sort of brief overall comments so far. 
I'm glad uh, terminal philosophy brought up the term practice what you preach, because one thing that Peter Hitchens points out uh, much, and I, I want to make this sort of against, you could argue this against the Aquinas people too, if you really wanted to, that Christ himself uh, would, and, and Peter Hitchens makes this in his one of better, better blog posts. He says that, you know, there's multiple instances in the New Testament where Christ basically engages in what would be modern day uh, would, would be cried exact whataboutism. You know, you know the, the Pharisees come to him and he says, "What about?" And he basically in modern day parlance say, "What about your own injustices and so forth?" And that that's um, an example of Ukraine brought up. Uh, the example of Ukraine that that is the argument that the people like Black Blumenthal will uh, and others will bring up, like, you know, what about U.S. invasions? You know, what about U.S. aid to this or what about U.S. and and I think something is correct that it is useful, illuminative, the your actual position in the sense that you don't hold it. Now, I guess I guess a critic of that will be say, well, you should actually be against both of them. And now, look, now I'm against now I'm against wars of intervention. I'm just against Russian wars of intervention. But but you're not actually against Russian wars. You're not you're only against American wars of intervention. You're not against all wars of intervention. And that might actually be a fit, fair criticism. Someone accused in the comments of Max Blumenthal's interview that he's like an inverse American conceptualist, uh, which, you know, that, that actually could be the case. Uh, 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 the, you know, the tankies would actually, tankies probably would own up to that criticism. Uh, so, so maybe, so maybe the anti-warness is not sufficiently held by either side. That's one argument. But in more practical usages of ad hominem, this also shows up into another buzzword, hot topic, uh, climate change. And whether you think the actual science is quote unquote settled or whatever, this is never, you have what often called as limousine liberals, where you have people who, uh, people who are flying around to conferences on private jets complaining about carbon usage. There's a sort of head scratch with there. Do you actually believe, or you have people who own houses by the water that will believe sea levels are rising, which begs the question, do you actually believe it? Uh, uh, and this this is this this highlights the performative contradiction part to it. Um, and I will also bring up another point. So I brought religion, I brought climate change. I'll bring up a third point here, which is Marxism. Marxism, I still think, illuminates a large portion of the Western world in a backhanded way. The ghost of Marxism still lives on, for better or for worse. Uh, and you could argue class. I think you could argue class analysis. I used to be somewhat friends with Brent Langle, and Brent Langle accused me multiple times of doing ad hominems arguments. But I'd argue class-based arguments are somewhat ad hominem in nature, because if you say like you're the proletariat, so therefore you have your own form of logic, and the bourgeoisie or the owners have a different form of logic, how is that not um, how is that not relativizing in a way like, you know, that you only think things because of your of a certain class? Um, so so I think at hominems had at hominems arguments, almost no one believes them. Almost no one fully takes the objection seriously. What I, what I want to do in this episode is just sort of to say a say that I think it's a weak argument, weak, a weak fallacy. I, I, I do think other fallacies might exist. But the ad hominem fallacy, I'm very suspicious of. Terminal philosophy, what do you make of my three additional comments on uh, religion, 
on climate change, performative contradiction, as well as mainly Marxism. Isn't Marxism a kind of ad hominem fallacy? You could take either one of them or say your own comments if you want. That'd be my thing. TP? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that in general, ad hominem is, is sort of a, it, it, it is a weak fallacy in the sense that the way in which, um, and, you know, your interlocutor may interpret the usage or acquisition or accusation of um, ad hominem is it's so arbitrary and so you know its understanding and its application can be interpreted to be quite nebulous so that that accusation can be laid at the feet of many people whether it's right or wrong um so yes i mean there there is this uh it, it's almost like an accusation almost brought up as a red herring as a way of diverting attention from a potential inconsistency in their argument uh, you know, um, this especially applies to like whataboutism. So, you know, there is this debate tactic of whataboutism that I've seen, you know, just again, anecdotally, my own subjective experience, but I've seen this deployed more by the left than I have by the right. And this too is also deployed almost entirely out of convenience in a way of, you know, it's it's almost deployed as a uh, sort of thinly veiled red herring as as a way of you know, diverting attention or shutting down a portion of an argument or a conversation um, because, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you, you could say, like, well, what about the United States' involvement in this? Or, or what about uh, the alt-right's involvement in that? Or what about Antifa's involvement in that? And it's that, that you know, that and then the other person might say, well, that, you're just engaging in whataboutism. You're not you're not talking about my actual argument. It's like, well, yes, but it, it should go without saying that it, it, it should be okay to at least observe practical inconsistencies. I mean, yes, the, the logical inconsistency is, is easy to identify. I think the practical inconsistency are more, it's not that they're difficult to observe, it's just that they're more difficult to use in a debate as a way of making your opponent see the inconsistencies perhaps in their own side or perhaps even in your own. So. Um, yes, as you're, you mentioned earlier, something about limousine liberals, which is quite a funny, uh, interesting term. Uh, you know, all of these uh, sort of societal elites and political elites flying in uh, 747s to climate conferences to discuss the evils of uh, uh, carbon emissions and so on and so forth. I mean, at, at least to her credit, no matter how uh, annoying and condescending or uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for, uh, Anyways, no, no matter how um, bratty she might come across, at least Greta Thunberg will take a, a sailboat across the uh, Baltic Sea to get into the mainland Europe to, just, <laughs> to some of these climate conferences. So I guess you have to give credit to where credit's due, right? At least that is, at least that has some consistency to it. So, uh, so good on her there. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll quick interrupt here. I'll sure. also give credit to the vegans. The v, because I mean, one of the arguments I'll make is that the, that that fossil fuels go into meat production. I'll give credit to the vegans too that they'll that they do something too. So you have to give credit where credit is due. Although I'm not sure if I want to give credit, but <laughs> no, you're at, yeah, I I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, you 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 should at least yeah. It doesn't mean that you're supporting uh you know it doesn't mean you're supporting your opponent's side uh you know fully or partially it's just that you you're you're locating you're correctly identifying uh consistencies in practicing what you preach because i think that's actually a rare thing especially in 
this like upper tier of society of uh, politicians and people at you know the heads of institutions, they actually rarely practice what they preach. I mean, I think AOC is probably a good example of this. I think many members of the modern day Republican Party are good examples because, you know, they sort of come from this humble beginnings, uh, you know, corn fed fed, uh, white boys end up going to represent a certain district in Washington, D.C. And then they stay there for several years and they become members of Senate subcommittees. And then and all of a sudden they're part of the elite and they're completely alienated and removed from this sort of. Uh, humble working class average Joe sort of ethos that they claim to have been from or claim to have some sort of that you know that they have their finger on the pulse of so um, you know I mean another I think another good example of practicing what you preach just as in terms of historical figures is actually uh, Che Guevara you know for uh, you know there, there's plenty to discuss about you know some of the atrocities that were carried out under um, Castro's regime and by Shea himself, but at least, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was like an insane workaholic. I mean, you know, in the jungles of Bolivia and elsewhere throughout South America with his guerrilla forces, I mean, he was like getting up early before someone was meant to fill sandbags and, you know, going on, you know, just like solo recons by himself to, you know, scope out the perimeters to see if the CIA or, um, you know, nationalist forces were, were uh, you know, if they were closing in on their perimeter or, you know, I mean, he he was just like quite the workaholic. And, you know, he, he, did, he wasn't one of these drunk Soviet generals under Stalin that was just, you know, in, say, circa 1942 or so where, you know, they thought that all, all hope was lost and that, you know, they were just they're just getting literally drunk uh, and also getting drunk on their own sort of position in soviet society at least at least there's that willingness to put yourself in the shoes of the of the uh, of the average infantryman you know and there's plenty of other examples and perhaps you could argue that shay's maybe not the best example but at least in the biography that's written by uh, i think it's john lee anderson um seems to detail you know this this uh very you know, opulent drive to just be one of his own men. So I, I always thought that that was that was quite interesting. But uh, but yes, I, I have seen in the past this um, this appeal to what about ism. You know, it's used a lot by the left, mostly on debates on Twitter and Facebook. That it's it's used. It seems to be used as a way as a red herring. Like okay, well, I don't want to. I don't want them to discuss this part of the. Uh, of the debate, so I'm going to pull the whataboutism card. You're just saying, you know, that th- you're just going on whataboutism. You're not even addressing my argument. But when in fact the other interlocutor may have correctly identified a inconsistency in values or ethics or applied, you know, applying politics that consistently uh, in the real world. So um, yeah, there, there's just a uh, I mean, there, there's just a, a difficult, arbitrary overlap between. Um, well, I, I maybe not know about. There's there's just an arbitrariness about ad hominem that is sometimes, you know, again, I, I, from what I've seen in debate, um, it, it's just so. It, it's such a. It, it could be used in so many different ways, and the way um, ad hominem is, uh, you know, the way you accuse an interlocutor of. Uh, ad hominem can be used in just many, many different ways because of its sort of nebulous, open-ended 
usage, I guess. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, just a, just a quick aside on um, <clears throat> on vegans. I don't actually think vegans are as uh, consistent as they claim. Uh, and not just because they might. Uh, I remember someone arguing that, that uh, avocados weren't vegan because um, they required enslaving the bees to uh, make it work. Um, now, this is not all vegans. Hashtag not all vegans. Um, to take the vegan view seriously, just an aside, um, they should be opposed to eating green veg- uh, green plants because it's killing a plant. The only thing they should eat is fruits and seeds because they're not harming the plants. Um, and there are vegans like that. Um, they're called fruitarians or frugivores. Um, so if you ever come across a vegan, that would be an interesting card to play on them uh, and, and to, to see how they react to it. Because it's it, in their position, it's like, well, you, you're harming a, an, an, a, a living being, then uh, that's kind of a bad thing. So, but eating fruits and seeds is fine because the plant kind of wants you to do that. Um, so, um, yes, that, that that's a potential card uh, you could pull there. The the point about, I'm going to return to the point about smoking here. I like the comment he made uh, with that respect. That, but this is more practical argumentation. And speaking of veganism, you also have the what in the article was defined sportsman's retort when someone complains about killing animals. His response was, uh, you know, you eat animals, you know, farmed by farmers or factories or whatever. Um, he said, you know, I just I just hunt them. Um, so what? Uh, uh, th- that's called a sportsman's retort there. Uh, uh, I was asked by my uh, uh, niece once what my favorite animal was, and I said unapologetically, the cow. I said, I can eat it. I can drink its milk. Um, so, and I, I, I've, I've eaten dolphin. The euphemism for that is mahi-mahi. And I would eat other animals, too, if they were on the menu. Dogs, cats. I, I would eat them if they were on the menu. I, I don't really see the difference is sorry to break anyone's hearts who's a dog or a cat owner but i don't really see any difference there um with, with right amongst animals and actually swithin's comment with with consistent veganism is kind of interesting uh which he said he only eats seeds so it's like the uh it's like the uh it's like he's taking the abortion logic more seriously you only eat the seeds you can't eat the actual plants uh uh, uh so so i only made that sort of as a somewhat of an aside to terminal philosophy point but I do the sm- the smoking example and the the fact that the parents smoke and yet you don't smoke still to me seems like a, a very sm- microcosm example of this. The more larger cosms would be like the war intervention point or some climate change or something like that. But in sort of on a micro level, uh, do you think that is a salient issue here? I mean, one way out of it is to say, well, I don't want you to smoke because I thought because smoking ruined my own life. Now, whether, again, that is empirically true or not is a good question, whether you would have just been obese or blah, 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 whether there's some other thing that would have happened to you if you didn't do this advice is a good question here. Um, so what are some ways out of the ad hominem accusation on a micro level? Or, of course, or what are some ways out of the ad hominem on a macro level? And do you, terminal philosophy, still think it's a relevant attack? Because there's also an alternative world where I think the, where where you could almost reduce all arguments to ad hominem, um, but that world might actually be a dystopia too. But I, I I think there's some extent there's mathematics envy. Me and Swithin did do an episode on mathematics, and the theories of mathematics are actually a lot more nebulous. Like, good question is, do numbers exist? It's a lot more nebulous 
than um, people will make it out to be. So there might be a mathematics envy that does not exist in everyday arguments. Uh, but it seems like one's personal body of work does matter. What do you make of that, TP? It's, it's more of a comment than a question. Uh, but do you think I'm correct to to uh, to to state that as a to state that the sort of general culture's view at Adahamman is weak, as well as what would you do to get out of it? Like if someone accused you of it, whether like let's say hypothetically you had a child and you smoked and your kid you didn't want your kid to smoke, or something else for example, you say if you had an abortion and you didn't want your child to have one, or something like that, how would you get out of that? Like or if you did an intervention. Like let's say like let's say you're Ed Phaser because I attacked Ed Phaser on one of this comment section because he was very much against the war in Ukraine, but 10 years ago he was very much in favor of the uh, war in um, uh, the American intervention in Afghanistan, whatever euphemism you want to call it. How would you get out of it, TP? Right, that's an interesting question. I suppose to uh, indulge you on the example of a parent telling their child not to smoke, even though the parents themselves do smoke. Um, you know, the, the best and most honest way of addressing that is, uh, I mean, this is almost the old cliche, like do as I say, not as I do uh, type of a thing. You, you would simply admit, you would have to admit to the child that they are right in the sense that, yes, it is in fact a contradiction, but then you'd have to go into more, um, you know, abstract subjects that are, that are, that are, outside of the realm of debate and logic like well you know i've i've done it i've smoked for a long time because i'm you know i've developed some various stresses uh due to work related life and you know our own personal lives and yada yada you know i'm, I'm addicted to it we we like it or something like that so you'd have to you'd have to offer an explanation that at least displays some level of transparency uh, otherwise you're just going to leave your child uh, bewildered by this blatant uh, inconsistency. Um, so so that's, I mean, that that's sort of the first pragmatic way of dealing with it. In the realm of, I guess you could say, the humanities or philosophy or politics, um, Ed Fazer, who you mentioned earlier, you know, who's against the war in Ukraine. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's a, sub, that's a fascinating subject unto itself. Now you've got neocons who are... Um, I guess you could say right in line with many other uh, left wingers in terms of uh, higher positions of society who are who are explicitly anti-Putin and uh, apparently anti-war at least for now. Um, but you'd have to get into the you'd have to get specific. You would have to delve into the specific political reasons for why he or she might support this intervention but not that intervention. So. Um, Ed Fazer, you know, and again, he's not here to defend himself, but he might say the following. Well, you know, Saddam's regime was horribly violent and repressive to his own population, especially to the Kurds. Uh, you know, there was there was hardly any, uh, you know, uh, so social mobility. Uh, there, there was no opportunity. It was, uh, you know, the press was uh, brutalized, you know, for speaking out, whereas, uh, um, you know, so we had to go in there and, you know, Israel and other, other uh, you know, "Quote unquote uh, democracies of the West were under threat by uh, Saddam's potential use of, of weapons of mass destruction, so we had to go in." And then you know he might say, "Well, you know, Putin thinks that NATO is you know is, is a hostile military alliance and is going right up to his borders, but 
he should just uh, figure out a non-military uh, solution to this, and he should just, you know, go along to get along. I mean, you know, he it's it's from there. I mean, as un, as unsatisfactory as this answer may seem to your question, it, you would have to just uh, interrogate that person, or you know, you just have to you know, rigorously hash out the details of why, you know, point out the contradiction to the person and then just, you kind of have to wait or see um, what those reasons might be. But, uh, I mean, yeah, so overall, I I tend to agree with the general notion that ad hominem is a weak fallacy because, uh, I mean, it's just used, it's just used really as a, the quickest tool in the tool bag to, uh, you know, sort of block some of these jabs and uppercuts that might come from the opponent when, when an attempt to, uh, you know, to identify logical or even practical inconsistencies. Like, oh, well, you're, because, you know, it's, it's so easy, it, it's so easy to stretch the definition of ad hominem to the point of where it, it's may, it, it could potentially start to lose its meaning. It's almost like, you know, the use of the word. Uh, maybe this is bad of comparison, but you know it's almost like the use of the word racist or Nazi these days, where it you know it's been so widely and liberally used that it, it starts to lose its meaning. Well, you know, I mean, what's the definition of a Nazi these days? Is it anyone who doesn't have pronouns in their social media? Is it everyone who voted for Trump? Is it you know? <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's kind of where it starts to uh, that's that's the direction it's certainly headed in, and I don't want to straw man or. Our, our dear political opponents, but you know that that seems to be the direction it's headed in, and that also seems to be the direction that uh, um, ad hominem and the deployment of whataboutism seems to be heading in uh, in modern discourse. I I would agree with uh, TP with 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 uh, the current observations about yeah, it, it, whataboutism is just a, a way to deflect, and it's just like oh ad hominem. Um, uh, I certainly think that's true. I, I think, Tim, your ex- the example about smoking is an interesting one. I think it's more interesting than the abortion one because it's something they're continually doing. Because in abortion, you could say, ah, yes, I know now that I shouldn't do it. And if I, I, if I was pregnant again, I wouldn't have one. Now, of course, if they did, that would be a different story. So the ongoing thing with the smoking is interesting uh, more so because something you said it is a bad thing to do, but you could you are continuing to do it. Um, obviously, the way around the practical inconsistencies is to make relevant distinctions. Um, which mean that this is different for me than it is for you. So I suppose you could frame this one in the case of, well, uh, I would advocate not start starting smoking for all these reasons. But then you could say, well, if you did start, then you may as well continue because the negative impact of trying to stop would be greater than the expected impact of continuing smoking. So I mean, you could make a claim that, well, you've already smoked 50 a day for the last 30 years. You stop now. I mean, really, is that going to reduce your, let, let's say, lung cancer? Is it going to really reduce your chance of lung cancer that much? No. Is it going to be really annoying and hard work to try and get off then? Well, um, yes, probably. Although I don't know if smoking is actually as difficult as claim to get off. I, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 as an aside with drugs, I'm, I'm slightly skeptical uh, to a large extent as to how difficult it is, to, to what extent you are actually addicted to it. Um, Theodore Dalrymple said that about dealing with um, drug abusers in prison. And he said, yeah, they go and just take drugs away from them. In two weeks, they're fine. Uh, they can have some unpleasant stuff for a couple of weeks. But apart from that, it's not like major, which also explains it as an aside, you know, how the um, American soldiers in Vietnam who were on uh, cocaine, I think it was. Uh, 
they pretty much all came off it after they came back. Um, so it can't be that bad. Uh, but but back to smoking, um, the, the point would be making relevant distinctions and differences. But then the question would be go, well, in reality, you know, is is the cost of continuing smoking uh, as low as you are claiming? And are you blinded by something? That would be the way the arguments would need to go. Uh, so uh, ad hominems are, are, can be potentially interesting. And the practical inconsistencies in working it through. It's just that as ever with most modern debate or maybe even historic debates as well um few people are now this is an interesting question is whether you ever get honest debaters or are they just out there to win um because if they're not necessarily not, not say you should go out to lose uh, but this can have, take you into more interesting avenues which is as an aside i think i mentioned this before why i think so one-on-one debates tend not to be that interesting whereas more uh, coordinate discussions tend to be better now of course it's less entertaining for people uh, to watch someone being destroyed um, but um, it can allow to go down these avenues in a more interesting uh, manner more interesting but less entertaining that sounds that sounds somewhat dreary um, so I, I I don't think hominem accusations are going away I, I mean if I had number one I'd have much political or social or cultural power anyway to change it uh and and um but i do want to make a sort of an argument of like why i still i still sometimes use those arguments reflexively when posed to people so like with the covid lockdowns rather than argue about them all it's it to me it's more interesting i got into a sort of a uh a, a, a sort of big boo-ha-ha over this on facebook with some people i know and and uh, rather than argue, I said, you know, why why did you do go out, why did you go out if you really believed it? Because if you really believed that you wouldn't go out, um, and that that's a good way to shut people up. Like like it's a good way to end the conversation. It's not an interesting conversation in that regard. Um, and I think in that regard, it's very useful here. Uh, so I do think there are uses for both sides on it. Um, um, and I. Uh, it, TP brought up Che Guevara. I guess that's his new middle name. T Che Vergaro fanboy one. <laughs> uh, that'd be you no, know, but his point that's about right. him being yes, 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 I say that with a big smile. Um, the point with with uh Guevara being uh, I there is there might be there maybe we don't want our political opponents to be actually virtuous because uh, I think Che Guevara will have a long term uh, influence precisely because. Of his influence that someone like TP would find virtue in the autobiography uh, <laughs> written by um, him. Um, so maybe maybe being uh, politically consistent is is if you really want your opponents to lose. I think Napoleon has a statement: "Don't interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake." Um, so maybe maybe you should be glad that opponents are acting hypocritically on various issues. So maybe we should be glad about it. But to return to the Ukraine example, here's an example where. Where, where it is quite clear that it, I, I in a sense agree with the what about is critique that it is the what about it doesn't deal with the actual invasion itself, um, um, but but is is an effective argument I don't know I don't know, but I, I sort of did this episode to sort of lay out um, some of what I think why I think it's a weak argument I don't generally accuse other people of using this like in, in common debates if someone accused me of doing X. But arguing why, I say, oh yeah, that's entirely fair. Like, oh, that's entirely fair. If you don't go to church, 
then you're not really a Christian. So, so why should I listen to you? Okay, that's fair. 100% fair. I agree. Um, um, you know, if, if, if I, uh, you know, you know, if you don't pay any taxes or something like that, therefore, or you don't join, you're not part of the military or something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's entirely fair. So I think when people put it on me, I generally think they're true. I think they're useful. Um, um, and I think about this to some extent, because like libertarians will sometimes attack people like Walter Block has dealt with this, for example, should libertarians work for the government? Or should libertarian economics professors be, uh, be you know, like, can they actually be free market end caps if, if they work for state funded institutions? Walter Block thinks Walter Block will admit that it's a dodgy thing. He'll defend himself, but he at least is willing to admit that, like, you know, there is a there is a performative contradiction of him taking government pensions or him taking a government job. Uh, now, now Walter Block will lay out why he why he thinks certain roles can't, but it is it is an accusation which I think needs to be addressed here. I try to avoid it. any final comments from TP or Che Guevara fan uh, or Swithin. That would be great. I enjoy doing this as always. <laughs> yes, well the uh, the proletariat revolution is on its way uh, despite. Uh... Despite what everyone, anyone else ever says, it's just around the corner. So, <laughs> and it will be draped in Coca-Cola and uh, and uh, Exxon Mobil flags. Now, um, I, I will just say, just in it, just as a more of a uh, just a broad observation. And you know, this of course goes without saying. It's something that I said towards the beginning, but um, you know, again, winning a debate by the merits, you know, by the strengths or weaknesses of a particular argument is entirely different from winning over an audience. And I think that you would probably both agree for the most part that, you know, when you're perusing the selection of political debates nowadays, um, at least, you know, uh, well, yeah, just by and large on YouTube and elsewhere, it has a much more of a, almost this quasi pro wrestling atmosphere um, and this is even true for you could even make an argument that it's even more true for the mainstream media, the legacy media companies. And, you know, I mean, I've gone through this uh, sort of skit before, but I'll just uh, I'll just do a quick version of it. I mean, when you when you take a moment to reflect on the format of uh, mainstream media and how modern, complex uh, political and social, you know, and sociological issues are discussed the format is something like the following. Okay, so you just wrap up a Mountain Dew commercial, and now you pan to Rachel Maddow, and her, you know, enormous Adam's apple is bobbing up and down for about five minutes during a monologue, and then she'll bring on someone to debate with, and then they inter they interrupt each other the entire time, you know. And again, this is about a wildly complex uh, issue, and then you know, both of them only are given these tiny um, windows of opportunity to come up with some new incredibly hot sizzling take um you know on you know this window of opportunity might be two or three seconds long and you know it, it it's in these tiny windows that they just come up with these just knockout punches um that you know that's the only opportunity you have and then she wraps it up by you know pretend crying with the closing monologue and then cut to a doritos commercial i mean that is just uh the <laughs> obviously that is like that is like schizophrenic. I mean, that, that is just no way to absorb politics, uh, economics, anything. <laughs> uh, 
that that format is just totally insane. And then so so and you know the format is also insane of you know you know watching Ben Shapiro beat up on some girl with uh, green hair and an enormous uh, septum piercing. I mean that is just you know and people you know people pay Ben Shapiro you know a monthly subscription to just you know shoot fish in a barrel. I mean this is just not interesting and this is so incredibly shallow. I think the format, if you really want, you know, an honest format, it's it's something closer to like William F. Buckley's Crossfire, where, you know, the program was something like half an hour long, and he'll bring on Marxist-Leninist professors, and and it's formal. There's not all this, you know, incredible, uh, you know, interruptions and this. I, I'm sure you've noticed this too. A lot of YouTubers and a lot of these personalities in mainstream media have this. There is this apparent this self-evident desire to appear crafty in both the way they speak and in the ability to insult. And so, I mean, again, this is, this is easily observable and this is not, this isn't what I'm saying is not even original or perhaps even that interesting, but it nevertheless, it is a huge problem in, in, in the discourse uh, of modern politics. And so, uh, yes, and perhaps the last thing I'll say just in regards to um, ad hominem is that um, just in my, you know, casual observations of, of reading, uh, you know, just watching political discourse throughout the years, ad hominem's definition can be so widely applied that, you know, interlocutors of, of a debate can appear more intellectual than they might actually be for the simple accusation of of leveling um you know ad hominem or whataboutism at the feet of their opponents so because again the the definition can be so widely applied so i, I find that particularly frustrating and um you know also it is frustrating when someone is just you know will just casually hand wave away someone's comment by just by just labeling it as whataboutism without considering uh the merits of that specific comments. So, so yes, I, I think um, this this subject was a good one in the sense that, you know, if anything, what we've done here today is basically help underscore the arbitrary or sort of nebulous nature and the ways in which ad hominem, whataboutism are used. Um, and, you know, I mean, you could even apply some of this to many other fallacies, such as like, you know, a straw man, uh, you know, uh, oh, you're just painting me, you know, with this broad brush or you're doing this, you're doing that, you're misrepresenting me. I mean, that that is also a widely, you know, I mean, that that accusation is practically ubiquitous in in political debates these days. So um, without uh, talking you all to death, I think I'll leave my closing comments at that. And thank you once again for having me. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you for joining us. Um, my, my final comments uh, uh, here, uh, talking about inconsistencies, is it good that people are inconsistent? Well, in a way, yes. Um, I mean, it's um, probably quite good that people don't support all the wars around the world um, because they just think war is good and they try to make distinctions and probably specious ones at that. Uh, between like the Americans and the Russians, but at least, um, at least in certain circumstances, that mean that they support less bad things. So, um, you know, if you say, oh, w well, would you treat your your mother like this? To which the answer is, well, no. But then you think, 
Well, actually, I could do that. I'd be a more consistent position, but I actually believe. And then you actually get people who are worse. Uh, I mean, I mean, it seems to be the case in Christian theology that the devil is somewhat consistent, uh, which is kind of good in one respect, but kind of bad in another. Um, so, uh, in a sense, we, we are saved uh, from a worse world uh, due to inconsistency, although uh, it can behoove us on uh, occasions to point that out. Uh, just now, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this, uh, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbean and on YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the more uh, higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.